Um, I'm Jonas. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not Pastor Brian. Um, I'm not follically challenged. Um, I'm, I'm one of the two pastors. Tim just snuck out, but I'm one of the two that have hair, so it's really nice. Um, no, I, I don't mean to poke fun. Uh, they're very handsome individuals. Uh, I just like my hair. Um, my wife's a hairdresser. I mean, come on. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to share this morning um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, uh, I love to share God's word. I, I love to share how God desires to work in and through us, and, um, and, and it's exciting for me. And the second is, this is a topic that God has really been speaking deep into my heart lately. Um, many of you know, um, over the last couple of years, I went through discipline and restoration. And um, if you don't know that whole story, I'm not it's a whole nother sermon. Um, but I would love to talk to you. Feel free to come and ask questions. But I will just say that during these last two years um, of my life, there's been a lot of um, inward focus, a lot of heart transformation and healing of stuff that was there. And, um, and so um, throughout my walk with Jesus, um, I, I've always had a heart for evangelism. I love to share Jesus with people. And over the last couple of years, that's kind of taken a backseat a little bit because God's been doing some stuff in me. I had to realize that a lot of times, not that it's wrong that I love to share Jesus, but I think sometimes I got more caught up in sharing Jesus with other people. So I wasn't having to deal with what was going on inside. And, um, and now I'm realizing that as he's making me healthier inside, I actually have more to share. And, um, and so he's kind of just been speaking to me about that a lot lately and reminding me of, of this idea uh, of what we're going to talk about today. Um, so I'm excited. I really am. Uh, when Brian asked, he, he said, I know I don't really need to ask, but would you be willing to, pre-? I'm like, of course I'll preach. What am I preaching on? <laughs> I'm like, I, uh, I love it. I love to just share with the body and it's exciting. When he told me the topic, I got really jazzed. So, but last week, Steve and Elaine Straw were here um, and they shared about the global mission you know, they shared about the global mission as they weaved in glimpses of their ministry there in, in Gabon, West Africa. And, uh, and honestly, it was incredible. Um, I, I loved, um, well, I mean, I love them. They're dear people. But it was really neat just uh, to hear their vulnerability and sharing how things have been tough and how they need to know that we're behind them as the body and that we pray for them and care for them. And that was really cool. And, but in the midst of it, they shared a lot about what God's doing in the global mission. And um, this morning, we're kind of getting part two of the message of mission, the local side. And um, we got to hear from Human Life Services. And don't ever ask forgiveness to share that story. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, incredible. And uh, we love life change here. And it's just really cool to see. And I'm glad you're sitting right here too, man. It's awesome. So um, it's, uh, it, it really is cool. And, and you can't really separate local and global mission, though. They're really one, you know. They're, it, it, it's, um, it's that they're, they're two different pieces of the same. They're just done in different places. And, and so um, there are two things that... Um, I want us to look at, I mean, Steve and Elise had so much to share. Uh, Steve gave so many good things. And as I was looking through it, there were two things that really I wanted to kind of come back to today. And the first is, you all missed out if you were in second service, because um, he did refer to um, the song, This Little Light of Mine. But if you were in first service, we actually sang it. And so um, we're not going to sing it today, because if you know me, you don't want that. Um, 
But I will say that song just spoke to my heart and I love it. I love children's songs. I love those, um, some would say, because I'm a child. But uh, um, Jesus said to have a childlike faith. I'm just rocking it a little harder than others, okay? Um, but, uh, but, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, I think should be a mantra of ours. I mean, and it's really not this little light of mine. It's really the light of Christ that's in us. And it's anything but little. Um, the only thing holding it back is us. He says, open it up. Don't cover it up. Let my light shine from your life. And, and as, as Steve talked about that, it just really spoke to me. And then the second thing was towards the end. Um, Steve said something that I hope you caught, and I'm going to use it as a springboard for this morning. And that is that he explained that the mission, you know, is the same for Christians who live here in the U.S. as it is for those that are called by God to go to the ends of the earth. And, um, and, and, and I'll explain. Um, I was talking with a missionary a few years ago about this, and um, I said, you know, um, he, well, he was saying to me, he said, um, you know, you, you constantly are praying that, you know, people here will feel the same call, you know, that they'll share their faith, they'll feel the same call to the people around them that, that missionaries do when they go overseas. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, we pray the same thing for missionaries there. He said, because I have lots of, he, well, I didn't, he didn't say lots. He said, I know missionaries who we've had come overseas. And he said, they're international workers. They're called by God to do this, they've said. And they get there and they don't share Jesus. And he said to me, he said, it's because if you're not going to do it here, you won't learn it there. It's about letting the light of Christ shine from you wherever you are. And then if he calls you to go to the ends of the earth, great. If he calls you across the street, great. Do what he says. And we'll get to that. We're going to talk about that. Um, but, but it's exciting. And, and so just realizing that the mission isn't split into different parts, it's one mission lived in different places. Um, we are called to the same mission, to follow God where he leads us. Well, first we're called to follow God. You know, our call is first to him. I remember reading A.B. Simpson, our founder's works, early on in, in my journey, and, and one of the things he talked about was that our call, because we often talk about the call, the call to go overseas, the call to take the gospel, and he said, that first is the call to Jesus, and it's in that same thing that it's a call that every one of us should be propelled out to share Jesus. It's all the same call, and, um, and so... We need to understand that and have that in mind. It's uh, to follow God where he leads us and to share the gospel or good news of Jesus with those he placed us among. And so that leads us to our topic. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17. Um, and before Bill comes to read for us, I want to share a little about context because uh, where we're at in this, um, the Apostle Paul was on his second journey of taking the good news of Jesus to new areas. And, um, and, and like was typical for Paul, he had been chased out of a city already, a couple. Um, he was chased out of Thessalonica, and he got to Berea, and he began to preach the gospel there. And then people from Thessalonica heard that he was in Berea, and they came there and chased him out of there. And, uh, and you know, uh, the wild thing is, um, while they chased him out, two of his partners, Silas and Timothy, that were on the journey with him, stayed. And they got to continue to teach and preach the gospel, while Paul was sent on to Athens 
And Paul has a really cool moment in Athens that we're going to talk about. But, but Paul gets there, um, and, uh, you know, when he gets there, he, he does what Paul always does, you know. Uh, he sits around sulking and just feeling bad for himself. No, he doesn't at all. Paul says, okay, this is where I am. This is where God wants me. And he starts walking around the city trying to understand their culture, trying to see what they're like, just getting a feel for their life. And as he does, he, he notices something that really, the, the Bible says it troubled him in his spirit. And, and what he noticed were all, the, all of the temples and idols and gods they worshiped and all of this uh, false worship. And it, was, and it was breaking his heart. And, um, and so he goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach there. And, uh, but then as he's teaching the good news of Jesus, some of the uh, leaders in philosophy, which was a big deal in Athens, um, they call for him to come and speak with them. They want to hear about this new idea. And, uh, and that's where we find ourselves today. So Bill, if you would come and read for us. From Acts chapter 17, picking up at verse 22. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to and not the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Thanks, Bill. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning, and uh, we ask that you would um, speak to us, God. You know that um, I've spent a good bit of time pre preparing and, uh, and, and thinking through um, as best I can what you want said, but Lord, um, I pray that each one of us wouldn't hear me today. God, that my words would fall to the ground. My, uh, 
my mouth and my heart would be controlled by you. God, may the, may the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want us to look at here as we walk into this is, um, is that Paul shows us a great method for sharing the good news um, with, with people around us. Uh, I love that he starts off with a, with a compliment. He shows them respect and he compliments them. Um, you know, he says, um, he says uh, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, we might be used to the way Jesus talked to the Pharisees. And often when he would say, you are very religious, it wasn't really an encouragement. Um, but in this situation, because of who Paul was talking to, it really is. He was, he was showing them, look, I see that you work very hard to understand things. And you, by what I see all around the city, I see that you all work very hard to worship the gods you believe in. You're very religious. And, and he was using a way, um, obviously, Paul, in his heart, was thinking, I know you aren't seeing this correctly, but I'm not going to bash you for what you're trying. We can learn from this. As we talk to people, open doors by respecting them, not beating them up for what they're doing wrong, you know? Um, but allowing them just to, to, to know that you noticed and you care about them as people. And, and as he walked into it, because what happens then is he then from there uses something they're familiar with to, 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 to use a springboard into spiritual conversation, which leads into deeper truth about God. And, and he says, um, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And, uh, and I think that's pretty wild, you know, as, as he's talking, he says, um, you know, this is a pretty awesome thing. And they would have all known this. This wasn't like a, a one-off kind of thing. Um, as I was reading and, and doing some study on this, this was a pretty common thing in that area within the cities. And there may have even been more than one in a city. Um, people would build an altar to the unknown God. And it's because they had all of these different altars and temples and shrines and places where they would worship. You know, how many of you study Greek, Greek mythology in school? Okay, are your arms broken or are you just not telling me? All right. Um, no, uh, how many of you have heard of Greek mythology? Okay, there we go. All right, that makes me feel a little better. Um, no, the, the, you know, the thing is, we call it mythology. They would call it worship. And it was their, their faith structure. And so instead of beating them up for it immediately, Paul said, let me find a way to speak into their lives. And he saw this, and God gave him this, uh, this opportunity and this idea. And he said, you know, I found this altar, and it says to the unknown God. Well, I want to tell you something. When, when those would be around cities, I think that why they're there is because it was they were covering their bases. You know, they have maybe this, this, this temple and I go to this temple and I worship at this altar and this shrine and I do all these things to these different gods because if you study Greek mythology, you'd know they always thought the gods were angry and they had to keep them happy. And so they would have to do everything they could and, and, and kind of do things right so that the gods wouldn't punish them. That's how they lived. And, and so then they would build this one over here to cover their bases just in case there's a god we forgot but I think maybe it was more. I think maybe, and actually more than maybe, because I, I know the way God designed us. He designed each one of us 
with a deep desire to know him. And I think that in their hearts, they made this altar to the unknown God in hopes that there was one better than they had found already. And Paul said, I want to tell you about this one. So it's really exciting as you walk into it. He, he uses their way. And, and, you know, I want to make this personal a little bit, kind of bring it up to date for us. Because, you know, I, I think, honestly, if you go to work, your coworkers, your classmates, or your neighbors, they probably don't have an altar to the unknown God, right? Okay, if I took a show of hands and anybody raised, I'd be like, oh, okay. okay. Maybe, I mean, we live in a wild world. Um, but, but I bet if you actually get to know them, your coworkers, classmates, and neighbors, that is. Um, if you get to know them and listen to their lives, you will find a hope that there is more. You, you will find that there is a higher, that, that there's a hope, that there's a higher power out there that's actually in control of this mess of a world and wants to know them. I really do. And I know that because I talk to people. And I was one. Well, I still am a people. But that's where the good news comes in, and that's when Paul tells them, guess what? That God you've been wondering about, the God you've been hoping for, he exists, and he does want to know you and to be known by you. Hmm. So this morning, um, we're going to focus on what Paul shared with them, though. I, wanna, I, I would love to just keep going through this model, and I would encourage you, and if you ever want to sit down, I would walk through this one with you, but Paul goes on from there and talks about the whole gospel of what Christ did and the resurrection. I mean, it's a great, it's one of the two big sermons Paul preaches. I get really excited about it, but I'm going to stop and we're just going to look at what he shares for a minute here, this first part. And there's three sections that I want us to look at in particular, because I think they'll help us for today as we look at our role in the local mission or in mission. And that is, we're going to look at the creator, the creation, and the call. So we'll start by looking at what Paul says about the creator, God. And context is super important here. As I said, we're in Athens, right? And there's all the Greek God worship and, and lots of gyros and, oh, sorry, no. It's almost lunchtime. Um, temples, uh, you know, people are worshiping all this kind of stuff. And, and Paul makes this huge declaration among these people. He says the God, because it would have been normal for them to talk about another God, you know, but but he says, the God I'm speaking of is the creator of everything, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. <laughs> He's the God. He's the creator. There, all these little G-gods that you have, he says, this one, he's like, wow. I mean, he is it. And that's pretty incredible. And, and then he says, oh, yeah, and he doesn't live in temples made by humans or even need anything from humans. As he is the one who gives life and breath and everything. And this was huge. Not just to the people of Athens. I think in our day and age, people are longing for a God who's that big. I know I was. He was declaring that God, that the God he was speaking of was way beyond any other God because he was the creator and sustainer of life. And, and what Paul was really doing here is he was giving them a true and healthy narrative of, 
or picture of God. He's saying, this isn't just another God. This God is the real deal. He is Lord of all. And this is where we should always start with who God is. Because, you know, it's amazing. I mean, think about this. It, it, it might not look like Athens around here, you know, with temples to all sorts of gods, or does it? You know, when you think about York County or York City or, or you think about Pennsylvania or the U.S., it might not be the same. I mean, Beth and I visited Athens a few years ago, and, and there's still some amazing archaeological things, uh, finds there, and it's incredible to see, uh, you know, all of that. It doesn't look like that. <laughs> but all around us, people are worshiping gods and idols of various kinds. And even if they talk about God, we can't be sure they really know who it is we're talking about. We say God, and to us it's more than a word, it's a name. And we share that, and then the picture that they get of who that is, uh, it may be entirely different. You know, when I'm having spiritual conversations with people, I will often ask, how do you how do you view God? How do you see God? If you were going to paint me a picture, or draw me a picture, or tell me, describe God for me, how would that be? And you know, so often people will give me this picture of some fashion form of an angry scorekeeper. You know, he's got his little checklist watching you to see just when you're going to cross the line of too many bad things, when the scale gets tipped too far, when you, you know, and, and then he's going to smite you, you know, and, and that's how people feel. We, we have this fear, you know, and, and I lived that way for a long, long time. And, and then, if it's not that, another really, one of the most popular views I get is a very distant and an uninvolved deity. Well, there may be a God, but I don't know if he or she or it or whatever even cares about us. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, it seems like there must be something, but, but I just don't know. And, um, and I want to tell you, when you start to talk to someone about God, like Paul did, we have to start with helping them have an understanding of a true and healthy image of God. Who is it we're talking about? You know, we can't just assume that people know who he really is. So Paul starts by giving them this picture, a good picture, a true picture of the God he's proclaiming, right? He says he's Lord of heaven and earth. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He doesn't need anything from you. In fact, he gives you everything life and breath and everything. That's pretty powerful. Did you do anything? Just do me a favor real quick. Everybody go, <gasps> take a deep breath. Do anything to earn that today? God gave it to you. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. So Paul does this, he gives them a good picture, and then he begins to talk about God's creation of humanity. So we have the creator and then the creation. And we read, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. There is so much packed into this one verse. Like so many sermons, I can't even tell you, and I won't preach them all. The first thing we notice here is humanity is a creation of God. I hope you know how powerful that is. 
He says, God created humanity. Boom. Now, if you've read any Greek mythology, you know they have a lot of different ideas. And he says, no, this one God I just told you about, he created humanity. He created humanity. And, and then he says something that'll just blow minds. He says, all of the people who live all over the earth come from one, an one ancestor. Now, I know it's only in Athens that this would bother people. But in Athens, they thought of themselves as kind of the beginning. They were like, no, we're our own people. We're Athenians. We come from Athenians. We, we, we come from the gods. We don't, we don't, you know, they, they, it's really wild how bothered they were by this idea that they could be mixed with anybody else. And you'd find that a lot of the nations during that time felt that way too. Wow, it's kind of weird. Isn't it like we do that today? I'm just going to say this and I'm going to leave it here. We all come from Adam. We're all connected. That makes us all equal. Paul was preaching. And then he says this, and I know this one. Anyway, God determines the when and the where of people. Individually, and as people groups, whole nations. This is powerful. This is powerful. The when and the where. The, the, he says, he deter, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The when and the where of people. You know, it, it's like, what? Well, as I did some research and I looked into this, you know, when you talk about when, you want to talk about time. And you look into time, and in time, uh, there's a lot of Greek words for time. Two are the most commonly used. One is chronos. Very few people wear watches anymore, but if you did, I mean, there's a clock, but it's that kind of time. You know, we keep track of time. There's a beginning, there's an end. You know, we are born, we die, the beginning of humanity, the end of humanity, you know, and it, along it is like Kronos, it's time. This word, though, for time is Kairos. And if you've hung out with me for any time at all, you've probably heard me use this because I get pretty geeked about the idea of Kairos. Kairos... Kairos is about a moment. It's about uh, an encounter. It could be, um, the, way, the way it kind of describes it is, it could be something, uh, something good or bad. It could be um, the birth of a child, uh, the death of a loved one. It could be um, something as grandiose as um, winning the lottery or uh, something as simple as receiving a postcard from a friend. But we have moments where along Kronos time, Kairos happens, and God has a moment with us. And we have an opportunity to engage him or not. That's Kairos. And he says that not only is it this idea of, of Kronos, but he said, God, God says he determines moments. He determines these God moments, these Kairos moments. He determines th that you will have opportunities to encounter him. And so we're in the midst of this. He, he determines that. And then he says he determines the where, the boundaries of our dwelling place. So God determines our when and our where 
And because I know some of you are thinking about it, I'll share a conversation that came up. Because I know, to be perfectly honest, this bothers some of you. It's okay. It bothered me for a long time, too. Um, it came up in the, other, uh, the other night at our house when I was talking through this message with Adam, one of the guys who, when I wrote this, I said, lives with us. He doesn't live with us anymore. He moved out over the weekend. <laughs> no, we're happy for him. He got his apartment. It's really awesome. But... Um, but we were, we were talking about this, and um, after hearing this verse and kind of talking through a little bit, he asked, how do you think that that idea impacts free will? And I looked at him and said, yes. <laughs> Whole nother message again. I won't go too far into it, but I want to tell you this. Um, we went on to discuss um, how in the beginning of our walk with Jesus, it seems so intrusive, the idea seems so intrusive that God determines our when and our where. Why is that? Because we like control. I, I remember when I first started walking with Jesus and I began to hear things like this, like God wants me to surrender and he wants to be in control and, you know, Jesus take the wheel and, you know, you know, you know, but we laugh, but that's really what it is. He's like, let me drive, let me be in control and life will go so much better. Surrender to my way and my will. I designed you. I know what's good for you. It's not because I want to wreck your life. I want you to enjoy life. And, 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 and I remember, though, in the beginning, it was, and it still is sometimes, let's be honest, but it really was hard for me to deal with this kind of thing. I'm like, what do you mean you determine my when and my where? I do what I want. I chose you, God. And he says, really? Because I chose you first. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, you know. But, but what, as Adam and I were talking, we realized that the longer we walk with him, it's like the longer you, you walk with him, the more you learn to trust him. You grow in your trust of God and you begin to live more for his kingdom than yours. And all of a sudden, it really doesn't bother you as bad. You're, you're like, actually, it's kind of comforting to know that he's that much in control. That, that when I say, God, I want you to use me, he says, good, I'm glad you're ready because I've been putting you in places and at the times, I've been determining your when and your where. You just aren't even noticing. And, and, and I want to use you. And this is incredible. I mean, this really is powerful um, how, how God does this. And I don't want to get stuck on that so much because we need to look at what Paul says. Uh, because there is a why behind God determining our when and where. And that's the real point this morning of, of this. Um, so we have the creator and the creation. And then there's the call. And, and he said, you know, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You know, God doesn't simply want to control people like pets. If he wanted us to be pets, he would have made pets. We have some, you know, the difference between us and our, I, I love my dog Boomer, love him. I mean, he is family, right? But you know what? Boomer wasn't created in the image of God. I was, you were, humanity is. 
That's different. We were given the image of God imprinted on us. We were given the ability to live and breathe the way we choose to. God doesn't force us. So when I say he determines this, yes, he puts us a win and a where. Do you have to do what he wants? No. But boy, life's better when we do. Um, God has a purpose for placing us when and where we are. Um, the circumstances of our lives, including the people that we engage daily and the opportunities that we have, are not random, but are part of the calling of God on our lives. The call to seek him and even reach out for him and find him. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. God says that he determines the when and the where. Okay, so whether that's Kronos or Kairos, but he determines the time and the place of our life. He puts people where he wants them so that what? So that they can seek him and find him. The whole goal is because he loves and he has a purpose for them. He cares for them. He cares for us. And so he puts us in places and, and it's incredible, you know, God loves that much. Now, the second piece of this though, and we need to hear this because, you know, he says that they will seek him and even reach out for him. And that really, that word reach, kind of, um, it, it's kind of the idea of groping in the dark, groping for something, groping and trying to find your way. The idea of, of like, uh, you're in the dark and someone throws you a lifeline, you know, and you feel it and you're like, ah, and you get a hold of it. And, you know, and, and that's the idea. And, and so he's saying, when you, when you seek him, you'll find him when you come after him. And, and so... He then goes on, says the call is so that those who are far from God would never be that far from him. Let me tell you something, because they're not far from us. Remember this little light of mine. God, when we begin to follow Jesus Christ, when we surrender our life to him and we enter into that relationship through the work of Christ on the cross, his spirit comes to live within us. His light is now shining from us. And, 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 and we are there then, the presence of God in the presence of other people. So he takes their when and where and puts our when and where around them and they intersect so that people would know he's not far from them. We know that God's omnipresent. God is everywhere. Okay, we know that. Scripture tells us that. There's nowhere that God isn't. But we need sometimes a tangible, we need to know. And God says, I want to use you. I've said this many times and I've had people question me about it, but I, I'll never back down on this one. I believe with all my heart that the very reason once we begin a relationship, if you've begun a relationship with God, if you've placed your faith in Christ, the very reason that God doesn't beam you up to heaven immediately is because he wants to use you so that others can find him. Why else would we be here? He told us, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> he knows that it's rough. He knows. I mean, wouldn't everything just be better? Except when he comes to live within us, he gives us his heart. 
And you know what keeps me from wanting to go to heaven? There are a lot of people that won't go with me. There are a lot of people in this world that don't have hope, and I lived that way for long enough to know that it sucks. And what happens after you die is far worse than what happens here. And I'm not okay with it, because God's not okay with it. And that's why he determines the when and the where of our lives before Christ and after, because he wants to use us in this way so that when people are reaching out and seeking him, they realize, whoa, God put you in my life to love me, to care for me, to show me him and to show me the way to him. And you know what? That happens locally and that happens globally. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we, as followers of Christ, have become his ambassadors, representing him in the ministry of reconciliation between God and humanity. We are called to relationship with God through Christ. And once his spirit comes to reside in us, we become carriers of the light of his presence so others can find him in the when and where that he placed them. Well, as Adam and I moved along in our conversation the other night, we were talking about how this plays out in real time. And, and like I said, Adam is in the process of moving into an apartment. He hadn't yet. And he asked if I thought that God determined that he would live there. And I said, yep. Now, that might have been easier because I knew he'd already signed the lease. <laughs> but the reality is, I believe that God does determine those things. God is moving us around. And that might bother you. I hope one day that you'll be able to let go and realize that he's in control and life's better when you let him be. And by better, I don't mean like worldly better. It's what happens in here. Um, but as we were talking, you know, as we went into it, it was exciting because the conversation moved from really more about um, more than just um, him being placed there. But we started talking about the when and where of the people that God was going to put around him. And that God was already, uh, you know, in the work of putting people, you know, in the place so that uh, he could use the light of Christ through Adam to intersect with their lives. And it was going to be really cool. And we're like, this is awesome, you know. And, um, and so then uh, what was really amazing is Friday, you know, he got off work early so he could go pick up his keys. And um, so he went to get his keys for his new apartment. He went over and, you know, of course, you know, you got to go do the whole thing and open the door and, you know, it's your place, right? That's cool. And he came back and he was all excited. And I was like, man, he loves his place. He's so excited. And he goes, guess what? And we're like, what? And he goes, I got to tell you guys something. He goes, when I went to move in, I met a neighbor who was moving in at the same time. And he said, and I thought, God's already doing it. And, and I said, you know why? Because you're paying attention. The thing is, we can miss that all the time. Bill and I were talking about this uh, after first service. You know how many times we miss the Kairos moment? God wants to do something in our life, but then there are those times when God wants to do something in somebody else's through you, and we miss that too. Good thing he's in control, because he won't let somebody who's seeking him miss it. But I want to tell you something. He invites us to be a part of that. It's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. We're ambassadors. The first call is to seek him. 
to begin that relationship with him, to, to give him our life. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you've never begun a relationship with God. You know, you've, 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 you know, you've maybe sat there like I did, you know, for years. I, I had heard about God. I'd even heard the name of Jesus. Um, but I didn't think I knew enough. And I remember very well that day saying, God, I don't know a lot about you. <laughs> but what I see in the people around me who know you, I want that. And um, I asked him to come into my life. And you know what? He did. And I want to tell you something. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's not just about heaven. I mean, that's going to be amazing. But his Holy Spirit came to live in me and gave me a hope that I had never had. Doesn't mean life's been perfect. You know my story. I'm a mess. Good thing God loves messes. And, and he gives us hope and joy. And he redeems us out of the muck and the mire. But guess what? He doesn't say, that's all you get. He says, no, now I want to use you. My spirit's in you. All you have to do is just let people see. You don't have to go to Bible college to share Jesus. Just let people know what God's doing in your life. Love people. Love people. If you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you that your when and where is probably today. <laughs> you know, it, it, God determined that you'd be here and that you would hear this. Don't waste it. Cry out to him and just say, God, I don't know everything. Say, God, I, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to become your disciple. And don't leave here without telling someone. Because we want to help you in that journey. We can't do this alone. And second, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to come to communion here in just a minute. And um, when we do, um, when you come to the table or to the stations, I want, you to, um, I want you to really contemplate, do a little inspection, a little self-inspection of how well you're doing it noticing. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up by any means. If anything, I just want to motivate and encourage us. God is putting you when and where he wants to. And he's inviting you to be a part of somebody else's Kairos moment. Let's let him. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for the price you paid for us. That, Lord, I don't understand how it works. I just know that your word says that on the cross you took the sin that you didn't commit. You paid a price for my sin and the sin of all of humanity of all time that we might be forgiven and set free. I'm sorry you had to do that. 
but we are so grateful. Lord, out of gratitude, may we live to share you with others. Help us to notice what you're doing. We don't have to make things happen. You'll make it clear. And Lord, as we come to the table or to the stations and we take of your, your bread and your cup, your body and your blood, God, I pray that, um, Lord, that we would once again um, consume your life. God, that we would be reignited with a passion and a motivation for you, to be with you, to become like you, and to do the things you did. God, to share you from here to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.